Welcome to this Bible Center Church Core class. We hope that this in-depth teaching of God's Word will challenge you to grow in your knowledge of Him and help you become a disciple who makes more disciples. Welcome to our core classes. We are doing two core classes on angels, which is a great topic, very interesting. Uh, I think it's intriguing. There's so much that the Bible does say and so much that the Bible doesn't say. In our membership statement of faith that we're in the process of putting together and rolling out, under the section G that says angels and demons, point one talks about angels. It says this, God created angels as moral, intelligent, and powerful spiritual beings without physical bodies. He assigned them to worship, and serve and to minister to all believers. So in your book, if you'd like to turn there, uh, the page numbers that I'm gonna give you as I speak in the video that we're going to use, the page numbers will be inconsistent with the book that you're in. So if you go to the creation section and you go to session one, you're gonna see God creates the invisible and in invisible. This section is about God creating the invisible. So the first section here is about angels. We're gonna cover purpose, types, and highlighted angels. So we're going to spend some time doing that. We're going to move to a video that's already been pre-recorded, so you can watch the video or listen on your podcast to cover those different topics. And then we're going to come back for the second one and cover the rest of the section on angels. So glad that you're enjoying these core classes. Here's the video. All right, if you'd open up your books, let's go to page three. We're starting with God creates the invisible. Page three. We're starting with angels. As we go through, we're not going to look up every single verse because if we did, we'd be here until morning. So some of these verses are just summarized for you. Some of them you're going to have to look up on your own. Uh, but they're there for you. What are the, what's the purpose of angels? Why did God create angels? We created angels to glorify Him by serving God and His purposes. To glorify God by serving God and His purposes. Does that sound familiar at all? It's kind of like why He created you too, right? God created all that he created to glorify himself and to serve him and his purposes. Now, there's a lot of different types of angels, and they all look different, and they seem to show up at different times, and they're doing different things at different moments. The first group I want to talk about are the cherubim. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 24, this is just a little bit after Adam has fallen and Eve ate the fruit, and at this point, God is driving them out of Eden. He's driving them out of Eden. And then God places between Adam and Eve and the tree of life, cherubim, with flaming swords so that they cannot return and ever eat from the tree of the fruit of life. Uh, he does that intentionally. And these are beings that I don't think you're going to mess with. Now, obviously, that's not a picture. That's a rendition. Uh, but when the cherubim are described, they're described with some level of power. In Exodus 25, 18, as well as in Hebrews 9, 5, it talks about two cherubim that were fashioned out of gold and placed on each end of the ark, where the mercy seat was on top of the ark, okay, or the atonement cover, and they're facing the ark. In Psalm 18, 10, in Ezekiel 10, 1 through 22, it talks about God actually like riding on the cherubim. In 2 Samuel 22.11, that's not in your notes, but 2 Samuel 22.11, David sings, God mounted the cherubim and flew. He soared on the wings of the wind. So he mounted the cherubim and he flew. Now, what did that look like? Was it like riding a horse? Was it like riding a surfboard? I mean, we don't know, but God actually mounted 
the, cerub, the cherubim, and he flew. In Ezekiel 10, 1 through 22, uh, if, you ever, if you just want to read something that just will blow your mind, Ezekiel chapter 1 will do that for you. It's this vision of angels and wheels, and we don't have a lot of understanding of what all is being talked about there, but within that vision, the cherubim are described. They're described as having mighty wings. In verse 5 of chapter, of chapter 10, it talks about them clapping their wings together, and you could hear it. The cherubim are covered with eyes. They were in the temple, and the glory of God was above the cherubim. And they were accompanied by these interesting wheels that were also covered in eyes. And wherever the cherubim would go, these wheels would follow the cherubim, seraphim. In Isaiah 6-2, uh, they're only mentioned by name. Seraphim here had six wings, and they flew above the Lord, hiding their face with two wings, hiding their feet with two wings, flying with the last set of wings, and they were calling out to one another, praising God and declaring out loud over and over again, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. We don't know a whole lot about seraphim, but it's possible that the reason why they were created and the only thing that they do now, tomorrow, forever, through all of eternity is to simply worship God and to proclaim his holiness out loud to one another, to all who hear. Living creatures, if we go back to Ezekiel, now we're in chapter 1. In chapter 1, there's also this kind of wild vision, and then there's this group of angels that are described to look a lot like cherubim. In chapter 10, verse 20 of Ezekiel, Ezekiel says this, these, referring to the cherubim, he says, these are the living beings that I saw beneath the God of Israel by Chebar, so I know they were cherubim. So in chapter 10, he references back to chapter 1 and says, those living creatures that I saw, those are cherubim. So even though they're called living creatures in chapter 1 and I distinguish them, it looks like they were also cherubim. Now, when they're described here in chapter 1 of Ezekiel, they have four different faces, okay? There's like a lion and a bird and a human face. Uh, they're very unique and somewhat confusing angelic beings. Uh, it's difficult to tell in this passage how much of it is like literal and how much of it is sort of figurative. Uh, but as you can see in that image, that's kind of the idea that we were given as we look and read about the cherubim, these living creatures. Revelation chapter 4. Let's go ahead and go there for a second. Chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. I'll read it for you. It says this, And before the throne there was standing like a sea of glass, like crystal, and in the center and around the throne four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first creature was like a lion, and the second creature was like a calf, and the third creature had a face like that of a man, and a fourth creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within, and day and night... They do not cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and is and is to come. So here, they're called living creatures again. It doesn't say that they're seraphim, but they do the exact same thing that we see the seraphim doing as described in Isaiah 6. So it's possible that the reference point here again is seraphim, but they're called living creatures. So we put those in their own category. Let's go to the next page. 
So we have different types of angels. We also have highlighted angels throughout scripture. Certain angels that just seem to get a little bit of attention, a little bit more attention than other angels. One would be Michael, who was called the archangel. In Jude chapter 9, there's this interesting picture that Jude gives us where he's fighting against and discussing and arguing with Satan himself over the body of Moses. It's kind of a weird thing. Why would Satan himself and Michael the archangel be arguing over the body of Moses? What happened to the body of Moses? In Deuteronomy 34, 6, it says this, And God buried Moses in the valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. But no man knows the burial place to this day. So for whatever reason, God decided that no one would know where Moses was buried. But that decision was argued against by Satan himself. Why? We have no idea. We don't know. Perhaps it would have been better from Satan's point of view for everyone to know where he was buried. So that way they would make a shrine and worship the wrong thing, be more excited about Moses than God himself. We don't know. But there's an argument that took place. If you have your Bible with you, go with me to Daniel 10. We're going to be there several times tonight. When it comes to how the spiritual world works, we get a lot from Daniel chapter 10. So contextually here in verse 13, Daniel has been praying for like three weeks. And here is the person or the being that shows up to talk with Daniel. And this is how he describes what's been happening for these last three weeks since Daniel started praying. In verse 13 of chapter 10, it says this, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me for 21 days. Then behold, Michael, one of the chief princes came to help me, for I had been left there with the kings of Persia. That's kind of interesting. So this spiritual being who appears when Daniel started praying, God said, go to Daniel. He was sent to Daniel. But for those three weeks, for 21 days, somehow he was held up by a being who he referenced as the prince of the kingdom of Persia. At the end of the verse, he calls him the kings of Persia. And it seems like the only way he got away was when Michael, the archangel, showed up and basically created a situation where he could escape or move on or finish his task. So we see Michael showing up here to help other angels finish the tasks that God gave them to do. There's not a lot of verses that talk about this kind of stuff. Like, we just have this. So there's a lot of things that we could suppose that could be incorrect, or some things we could suppose that could be correct, but that's what happened. If we go down to verse 21, it says this. He keeps talking to Daniel. He says, however, I will tell you what is inscribed in the writing of truth. Yet there is, one, there is no one who stands firmly with me against those forces except Michael, your prince. So he shows up. He starts talking to Daniel. Remember, Daniel is trying to tell the king like what different visions that he's seen, and Daniel's had some visions. And so he's talking to him, and the angel shows up to give him some understanding of what's happened. But he says, there's these forces that are against us, and the only one who's standing with me is Michael, your prince. That's just interesting. So Michael seems to almost be called to be in charge of taking care of God's people, at least the Israelites, I mean, or at least Daniel himself. 
It's like Michael's been given charge over this. He's been called to stand firm, and he's called your prince to Daniel. Very interesting. So there's actual forces. There's an actual battle. I mean, and we'll, we're going to come back to this chapter and look at it a little bit more, but it's just right beyond the veil of what you and I can see. It seems like there's things going on literally all around us. Like, this is real. This is real. This is really happening. There are forces at battle around us. Some are assigned to different people and things, and, and there's real consequences. Daniel prayed for 21 days, but it took 21 days for that angel to come because of that spiritual warfare. There's really things happening around us. In Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, Michael is mentioned again, and he's called the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people. So again, Michael is described as the one who kind of stands guard over the people of Israel. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 7, it is Michael who fights directly against Satan in the end. In 1 Thessalonians 4.16, it doesn't say Michael by name, but it references the fact that the archangel will basically, you'll hear his voice and the sound of a trumpet in the return of Christ. So you see him there as well. Gabriel, the messenger, again, another unique role here. He functions as a messenger for God. So we just read in Daniel 10, an angel shows up and discusses and talks with Daniel, but he doesn't name himself. But just a little bit earlier in Daniel chapter 8, verse 16, and Daniel chapter 9, verse 20, Gabriel's the one who shows up to help explain some visions. It's Gabriel who does that. Um, so we see him functioning that way. But Gabriel's not just an Old Testament angel. In the New Testament, is Gabriel who shows up and talks with Zechariah and Mary in preparation for the coming Messiah. So he talks to Zechariah about John the Baptist, and he preps Mary for what's about to happen with this baby that lives inside of her through an immaculate conception through the Holy Spirit. He's the one who delivers and gives that information from God. 